Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 394 on the network. We are in the middle of a triple header Wednesday here. We started off with Dan O'Shaughnessy with Jerry Chupiano's, uh, with On the Record with Jerry Chupiano. Got a great guest today, a packed show with, with Schaefer here today, and then followed up by the Hall of Famer Jim Cott with Cott's Corner. I won't spoil our guest today. Schaefer, I'll let you introduce him, but before we do, just want to thank our audience here. We challenge you to get 60,000 subscribers before Christmas. We hit that a week ago. So, of course, like a former coach, I upped the ante to 62. We're almost there. We need 200 new subscribers by the end of the week, and we'll hit that goal. I know you can do it. After this show, make sure you click five stars for Bob and our guests. Write some nice comments because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. To our sponsor, Blackout Coffee, appreciate your support. Based on what I heard, coffee's on Shafe this month and all of 2024. I don't know where he's coming up with the money, but 20% off at checkout. Shafe, what's your, what is your code at checkout? I'm not going to tell you. You got my credit card. I already got the credit card, so you might as well give me the code. All right, Bob's, B-O-B-S, 20, capitals. All caps, Bob's, 20, capitals at checkout. Get you free, or I'm sorry, not free, get you 20% off. And then to our very first guest we had ever, he got mad at me. He said, I, I'm pumping his book too much. He can't keep it on the shelves there, but I'm going to do it one more one more week for him. Ted Kubiak, our very first guest on the network, one of our most faithful listeners. Great, Two great books for your baseball lover, Old School and How to Field a Ground Ball, three-time World Series champion, shortstop for the Oakland A's. Uh, has, has a, it's a great read for any baseball lover. So with that, Shafe, welcome back to your show. Glad to have you. Always love our Wednesdays together. Uh, why don't you introduce our special guest today? Okay, Dave. Uh, as you know, I coached eight years in the minor leagues and managed coached 12 years in the big leagues. And one of my all-time favorite players is with us today, Rex Hudler. Rex uh, played for me in 1980, Greensboro Hornets. Uh, he was no more draft choice by the Yankees in 1978 after turning down several offers and one from Notre Dame to play football and baseball to become no more draft choice by the Yankees. And But uh, ended up playing 14 seasons in the major leagues as one of the best all-around utility players in the game. He played every position except pitcher and catcher. And uh, it wasn't easy for Hud to get to the big leagues. He spent six years in A-ball. Can you imagine that? Six years. It just shows you the determination that Rex had for the game, the love of the game. And he, when he finally got to the big leagues, he stayed there like 14 years. And uh, I think he won two World Series. Uh, after uh, his career ended in baseball as a player, he went into broadcasting. He was with the Angels for 10 years as a color man. And then he switched over to Tampa, I mean, to uh, Kansas City and uh, spent, he's, yeah, 2012, he started there and he's still there. So, Rex, glad to have you with us. Uh, great baseball guy and really good friend. Shave, oh, man, I can't breathe. I'm so excited. You called me and you want me to come on with you. It's unbelievable. First of all, thank you so much, Shave, for helping me become a big leaguer, a second baseman. That was signed as a shortstop. And, you know, and I love the, the Christmas jingle you guys started the show with. We honor him. That's right. We honor our Savior, but I honor you, Shafe. Thank you so much for being patient with me and, and being firm with me because that's all I knew. You had to slap me in the head three or four times. Very hard-headed. But, but when you have the attitude going down, uh, to, actually – it was a demotion, I thought, uh, as far as a, an advancement in, in baseball, being in A ball, high A. I went to low A in Greensboro, and they told me, hey, we want you to learn how to play second base, and we have the exact guy to do that for you. His name's Bob Schaefer. I said, man, let's go. And I had torn cartilage in my knee at the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, painful enough to where, you know, I had to miss time. Dude, you know what? Whatever. You step wrong and hurt a little bit, but, you know, you get put tape and aspirin on it and, and play. And because I played for a whole month, a month and a half with him, I learned how to play second base, and that increased my my big league chances. And it sure did work out, Shafe. I really appreciate you uh, taking time with me and, you know, basically doing what some coaches are, sp are paid to do, but a lot of them don't have the passion and the energy that you did and the sense of humor. Uh 
we hit it off and I love you and I still do shave. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, I could recognize talent and you had great talent. All you need is a little tune up and I kind of helped you tune yourself up. And I was very proud of you. I um, mean, you got to the big leagues and stayed there for 14 years. And uh, I remember one time, I don't know if you remember or not, but uh, it was a spring training game. I think you might've been with uh, um, the angels at the time. Cause I remember it was at that Ho-Ho camp park playing against yeah, the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. So I'm watching a game and the man on third base and nobody out and you hit a ground ball at third. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. That's one of my players. So what happened next day I see before the game and I say, what the hell are you doing? I say, you're supposed to push a bunt, you know, get the ball far enough to right field to get the guy to third because of the wind or whatever. You got to bunt him over, bunt for base hit. You're good at that. You should have bunted him over. You say, yeah, Shafe, you're right. I, I should have done it. I should have done it. So first time up in the game, what's he, what do you think he does? He pushes a bunt for base hit, gets to first base, looks for me in the stands, tips his hat to me. And I'm going, that's my man, Hood. But that's the kind of, that's the kind of player you are. Shafe, you know, just uh, a blessing to be able to have uh, the physical skills to be and the tools to be able to, to play at that level was one thing. But you know what? Just to be thankful, there are so many who can't get out of bed and walk. And so I always had a self, I always had appreciation and a thankful heart. And I was raised with that. My parents did a great job with me. My mom, especially, she toughened me up. Um, Shafe, though, but you know, uh, to be molded, as a player by, by, you know, certain coaches uh, certainly was one of the highlights of my entire playing career. Uh, the 21 years total was a long grind, but you know, some of the pride uh, that I have, and it, and it really, I can be prideful because I couldn't control any of it. My first manager in the big leagues was a guy named Yogi Berra. That was in 1984. And then they fired, George fired Yogi and then Billy Martin came on. And then Billy decided I wasn't going to be his guy uh, as utility player. So then he moved me to Earl Weaver, where Weaver thought I had a chance. It wasn't the wrong place, wrong time. Went from Weaver. Then I went to Buck Rogers. And then from Buck Rogers, Whitey Herzog traded for me. Uh, he quit because I was so terrible. And then uh, uh, a guy named uh, Red Shandies took over for two weeks until they found a guy named Joe Torrey, who came out of the broadcast booth at Anaheim. And then from Torrey... I got to go to play in Japan and then got to play for Terry Francona, little Joe Madden, so and, and Bob Schaefer. Now, these guys all had a, a, a small part in helping mold me, some the old-fashioned hard way. Earl was a screamer and a yeller, and it didn't bother me none because I was raised like that from uh, folks from Texas, and they were hard-nosed and d disciplined. And really, that's the key. Being disciplined, I think, was one of the biggest things I had. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. And if I said, if I ever answered my mom, huh, whenever she called my name and went, huh, I would watch out because here comes the backhand. You know, you don't talk to me like that. Don't ever say, huh, to me. You say, excuse me or yes, ma'am. And so those kind of things help mold me for the future, especially when I was 17 years old and the Yankees drafted me in the first round. We signed and, and they wanted me to fly to New York to meet a guy named George Steinbrenner, the owner of the team. And I remember when he came when he came out of his office. I shook his I shook his hand firmly because my mom taught me firm handshakes, eye contact, son. The first first time you meet somebody, that's always the biggest time. They'll never forget that. So she told taught me all that, and sure enough, I I shake his hand firmly, looked him in the eye, Mr. Steinberg. I hope I can hope I can help you win a world championship someday. Thank you so much for drafting me. I'm excited about being here. And he said, "Come on in, Rex." And he, and he sat me down in his in Yankee Stadium, and it was in June, you know, during the draft, as of, right after the draft, and the team was on the road, and he, you know, pushed a button, and, and the drapes opened. There's Yankee Stadium. He had pinstripe carpeting. His 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 uh, couches were were made of baseball leather and gloves. Uh, it, you know, it was I I was I went on five recruiting trips to all the major colleges I could in football. But this was the greatest ever. But he didn't have to. He already signed me. It was like I was like thinking. Man, this is some kind of recruiting trip here. I'm at George Steinbrenner's office in Yankee Stadium. This is pretty cool. So what does the media do in New York, Shafe? They take you right down to the clubhouse, and they put you, they place you right in front of Bucky Dent's locker since you're the next shortstop coming. And they took my picture in front of Bucky Dent's locker saying, this is the guy that's going to replace Bucky Dent. <laughs> it was just a whirlwind. I'm thinking, you know, really? So 
Later and I, Bucky and I became friends and we laugh about that moment, but it took me a long time to be able to find out who I was, Shave. Yeah, well, that happens when you come out of high school. I mean, it's a different game almost to a certain extent, but uh, like I said, you had talent. You could run, you had good feet, you had good hands, you had all the ingredients to be a good player. You just need a little tune-up and uh, you just learn how to do it, but you learn pretty quickly. Well, Shafe, you know, um, I remember being, being a kid in, you know, third, fourth grade and a teacher wanted to, uh, wanted to know uh, what we wanted to do when we grew up, you know, basic, basic questions when you're in elementary school. And I told her I want to be a professional athlete, like probably 80% of the other kids in there. And, uh, you know, so I love competing at recess. I love competing at lunch. Those are my favorite subjects. And, and, and I wanted to beat my, my opponent. So I became a competitor even at that young age. And, um, I think, you know, soccer was my, the first sport I started playing. There's intensity in soccer. There, there's a, there's a passion there. There's competing against 11 other guys, you know, that that's <clears throat> the, the, the adrenaline got going, but I was a speed guy. I always had, I think, uh, soccer developed my speed, my footwork, my, my agility, uh, being able to accelerate, take off. So, um, that was great. Now, when I get to be a senior in high school, I, I still played all sports, uh, baseball, football, soccer, and my mom, she goes, son, you want to end up being good in all of them or you want to be great in one of them? Because you've got too many sports here. You need to eliminate. You need to cons- consolidate and eliminate a sport and concentrate on the other two. Mom, great advice. There's no future for me in soccer in 1978 right now. I want to, to go to the money sports because I'm going to be a, a, a big professional player. So she said, good choice. I focused on baseball and football, and man, was she right. Things happened. God blessed me with, with health. He, he blessed me with opportunity. I had wonderful uh, amateur coaching coaching at Bullard High School in Fresno, California. Uh, uh, Mike Noakes was one of the uh, was a legend in the state of California uh, as a high school baseball coach. John Anabo, a football coach, had me. Uh, these guys instilled, you know, they got a guy that could, that could run. I had good hands. I could catch the ball. And I had a quarterback that could hit me 70 yards down the field so I could shake my defender and be wide open. He made me look good, Shafe. It wasn't that I was that great. But I had 25 D1 offers, football offers, and and uh, I was kind of blown away. But, you know, flying to, to Notre Dame and, 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 and getting off the plane and getting there and seeing touchdown Jesus and going up there and listening to Lindsey Nelson and the highlight reel of Notre Dame was very impressive. I mean, you know, I took my visitations uh, to, to UCLA, to Cal Berkeley, to Arizona State, and then Michigan State and Notre Dame. And, and I flew uh, from Notre Dame and, and Dan Devine was the skipper. And I remember him in, in his office uh, uh, having my file in front of him, just him and I. And, I, and I'm looking around in, in his office. And here's all this Cotton Bowl memorabilia, Eric Parsegian, Joe Theismann. I mean, this is, this is what, it's the New York Yankees of college football. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he goes, son, I got a full ride for you here. Got a scholarship for you. We're going to catch some passes from Joe Montana, our quarterback. And, you know, we are national champions. We just came off a, cha- a title in 77, and we, we were looking forward to you coming here, sir. And I go, hey, yeah, Miss Mr. Devine, thank you so much. I'm honored. But I need to go home and talk to my parents a little bit uh, first about this decision that I'm going to make. But I sure do appreciate it. And I'll get back to you. So man, I flew. they flew me from Notre Dame, shape to, to, to Michigan State. And they showed me around there. And, and their coach, Daryl Rogers, uh, set me up with a guy named Kirk Gibson to show me around the campus. <laughs> I coached him, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so give me. Gibby was surly, you know, he was surly and, you know, he was, he was a freak and, and we would, he, they would take me to their workouts and he would be lapping guys on their track, lapping them running. He was so fast. And then we went to play basketball and he would stand underneath the basket and jump and, and backhand slam. And I'm not thinking to myself, this guy's a freak. So I asked the coach, coach, what, what is he? Who is this guy? He says, he's our all-American wide receiver. He's going to be a number one pick in the NFL draft. He's a wide receiver, and he's a badass. So I was like, no doubt. Man, are you kidding, are you kidding me? So ended up, uh, uh, I, I said, can you take me to the baseball program, Kirk? And, and he goes, you'll have to get somebody else to take you to the baseball program. That's a sissy sport. I'm not taking you there. You know, certainly like Gibby is. So I kind of was like, whoa, uh, Okay. He ends up going out for the Michigan uh, uh, baseball team that year, and he ends up getting drafted the same year I did in 78. 
So it was it was very ironic, especially once I got to the big league. Five six years later in '84, that's when the Tigers and Kirk Gibson was 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 driving their bus and and they were kicking tail on, on and they were winning in '84. And I and I'm a Yankee in a Yankee uniform walking up in Tiger Stadium. We didn't fraternize back then. Okay, fraternizing now is like common common thread. See a buddy. Yeah, everybody was. Yeah, everybody's an enemy. Not all their buddies. Right, right. So see, back then we were competing for money. So it was very unusual for a rookie to come walking up to the Tigers batting cage, but I wanted to see if Gibson remembered me. I was just so enthralled with that, uh, at conference, I mean, the, the two days he spent with me. So I walk up there kind of a little bit timid. And I'm, hey, Kirk, do you remember me? Uh, Rex Hudler, you showed me around Michigan State. And he, uh, he looked at me and he goes, what are you doing here? Are you the bat boy? <laughs> so there's, Alan, there's Alan Trammell. There's Lou Whitaker. There's, there's Lance Parrish. There's Dwight Evans, or not Dwight Evans, but Barry Evans, uh, first baseman. And he went. Yeah, Daryl Evans. Yeah, yeah. There are these, all these, all these studs, and they're all just staring there, looking at me like, "What are you doing?" And so it was an embarrassing moment. But when he when he dropped the bad boy on me, I said, "Don't hit it to me, bitch!" And I walked back <laughs> to the to the locker room. And sure enough, he I robbed him and a hit that night, and and uh, we ended up being being uh, competitors for a long time and then we were broadcasters together and now he's one of my best friends man so I've known him longer than any of these guys in baseball and it's just been so fun shave to be able to, yeah. to hit these spots but anyway maybe I took too long on that story so what you're like being recruited in football and all of a sudden you sign with baseball was that because baseball is your love or just because you found a better opportunity there mm, I loved whatever sport I just finished so my mom knew that. And she and so they would call. We didn't have cell phones then, so we you know they we, uh, all the scouts in baseball would call my senior year on the wall phone, and I would hear my mom say, because they would say, "Is your son draft eligible?" And she'd say, "No, don't you'll don't you'll waste your pick. Don't pick him. Don't 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 pick my son." So I said, uh, "You know, I I, I heard, keep hearing that, and I go, wow, mom, you know, what are you what are you doing? She no no big deal. So so all those all these teams, uh, you know, they all were expecting me to to be a number one pick." And so I come home from the draft that day. No big deal. Didn't stay home or nothing. It was just a oh, I'm a, I came home. I said, Mom, anybody, anybody call today? She goes, yeah, the damn Yankees drafted you. And I said, what? She said, that's a pretty good team, Mom. What'd you tell them? I told them they wasted their pick. You told the Yankees that? Yes. She goes, yeah, you're going to Notre Dame, son. You're going to get a, a great degree and you're going to be a, a star in, in, in football and, and don't worry about it. So I went, wow. Okay, mom. Thanks a lot. Um, all right. So, so, so a week goes by, we don't hear from the Yankees. And I said, you scared them off, mom. You know, here I am. I'm just 17 year old punk. So I don't know anything. And uh, she goes, oh no, they'll be calling. So, she, you know, you can't have, a, I couldn't have an agent because it would have ruined my eligibility for, for college football. So uh, she handled all of that and, and sure enough, a guy named Al Rosen, who's the vice president of, of uh, the Yankees, and Jack Butterfield, a, a brilliant baseball uh, mind, came and showed up at my door. And they, they, they walked in. They're in their suit and ties, you know, and they walked in. And my mom sent me out. She goes, go have a pizza, son. Come back in 45 minutes. So she didn't tell me that. So I said, yes, ma'am, I will. And I came back, and, and I went to walk in my, my, my front door, and it was locked. I knocked on my own front door, and my mom opened the door, and I said, Mom, can you let me in? She goes, congratulations, son. You're a Yankee. And I was like, whoa, what happened? She goes, I didn't want you there because I, th I thought you would jump at their first offer. I, we knew we were going to be negotiating, and so uh, I didn't want you to be around. But congratulations. I, got, I, I said, Mom, how much money did you get me? She goes, I got you 150000 I go, what? That's amazing. So, so I was so thrilled that my mom negotiated uh, with the with the Yankees, and uh, and so she knew she knew that I was game for. And baseball had just finished, and I was excited about baseball. And actually, she and God, uh, who opened all doors for me, uh, uh, knew that I could play longer in baseball. So it was definitely the right choice because I would have broke my neck in football, or you know, would have been injured, or something that could have happened in that physical sport. But I'm real grateful that. Um, during my, my, my young days, and I was able to hear my mom and dad, so many young people, they block out their parents thinking, that, oh, that's, they're always telling me what to do. Your parents have your best vision for you for the future, you more than anybody else, and they want the best for you. Listen to them. 
then listen to some of the key things they, they tell you. They're going to help you. And I'll never forget all the things that my mom taught me, enhanced me, and enhanced my career. So, so there's any young kids out there, you know, you need to take that block off your head and listen to your folks and don't and take the chip off and realize that they're trying to help you. And hopefully the parents will give them good advice. And that's exactly what I got. Well, that's a good message. And uh, like you said, I mean, times have changed quite a bit since then. And uh, even like the minor league free agency, you know, you, like I said, you spent six years in a ball because your determination, but now to have minor league free agency, I give the Yankees credit for not giving up on you. A lot of organizations now, if a guy spends two, maybe three years in a ball, they say, see you later. And they release him. Right. But they, they saw your talent and they saw that, you know, your potential and it all worked out for them, worked out for you. Well, too, also that that just falls in line with my mom's uh, um, advice, son. When you meet somebody for the first time, you shake them firm hands and you make eye contact. Mr. Steinbrenner liked me. He he, yeah. he saw the discipline in me. He liked me and we had a relationship. And and he would come to the ball, to the minor league camp every year. Once a camp, Schaefer, you remember, whenever Mr. Steinbrenner was coming, we knew a week before he was coming. That's the power this guy had. This guy was, he was an amazing owner, a Hall of Fame owner, no doubt. I don't know what baseball's doing by not letting him in. He changed yeah. the game. He was a game changer for as an owner. But so he would he would sit up his his lawn chair right down the right field line. And I'd be playing second base and the inning would be over. And he would say, Hey kid, come here. So I'd I'd run over there and I'd take a knee. Hey, Mr. Steinbrenner, how you doing, sir? He goes, Hey kid, how we do how we treating you? How we doing? How's everything going? Hey, sir, you guys are giving me an opportunity to play. That's all I can ask for. It's just taking me some time to figure some things out. Had a few injuries, but hang in there with me. Yes, sir. Okay, go right ahead. And so and I'd, I'd run back to the dugout, and then my manager, Doug, the late Doug Holmquist, was, was nervous. And he'd go, what did he say? What did he want? You know, everybody was so nervous whenever George was around because if he didn't like something, he'd fire you on the spot. So there yeah. was a lot of pr- – you remember that, Shave? Well, you know, you talk about Jack Butterfield. He's the one that hired me with the Yankees. Then he got, he got killed in an auto accident like about two months afterwards. Tragic. And uh, the reason he hired me is because Steinbrenner wants people that can teach the game. And I came out of high school, basically, coaching the Cape Cod League. And Jack Butterfield, I played against him in college because he's a coach at the University of Maine. So he knew what kind of player I was. And he saw me coaching the Cape Cod League. And he said, no, that's the guy I want. So. He offered me a job one year as a coach. I said, no, I'd rather go back to the Cape League and be the manager or the head coach up there. Next year, he called me back. He said, I want to, I want to hire you as a manager. We're going to open up Greensboro. I want you to be the manager. That's 1980. You, you play with me. And he, uh, so what happened, I talked to my wife. She said, yeah, go for it. So, I mean, she she was great to let me do it because it was a big sacrifice on her part. You know, she had to take care of the kids a lot more. Yeah. And I went from teaching school for 12 years to uh, coaching and managing in my lakes. And it was a good opportunity for me because I always wanted to get back into baseball as I figured when I was playing I wasn't quite good enough to get to the big league so I took a job teaching and coaching and uh, so it worked out great and I progressed up the ladder and finally got to the big leagues and here I am 44 years later <laughs> oh and praise God that you that you landed in the spot that I was at and when in the time for me because I was <clears throat> excuse me I was able to learn from your techniques and you know most managers let their coaches deal with the, the teaching of part of the game but you 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 spent time with me you took me out early you said hey kid look you got the you got the footwork you just got to learn the 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 uh the ins and outs of second base going across the bag when the ball's on the third base side you know turn in two transfer with your hands don't carry the ball you know little things like that um, was good, but Shafe, I loved your personality and your smile, and you were happy. You weren't some tough guy acting like you know, hey, hey this is my team. You know, you 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 had some some uh, big time security. Uh, you you felt good about who you were, and that's what I liked about you. And you had a good sense of humor, and you know, and in baseball, Shafe, and I've learned all over in my playing days, laughter is the cure for all. You're right. Laughter. You got to have fun. If you're having fun, it's not a job. Right. And uh, we had fun. We had some great players. You know, about six, seven guys like Madley, Gagney, Otis Nixon. Actually, the real name's Otis. I call him Otis. You know, Matt Winters, Victor, remember Victor Mata? Heck yeah. And how about, how about Tommy Dodd that was a home yeah. run, minor league home run champion? Yeah. But all those guys got to the big leagues, which was, that was my job, getting guys to the big leagues like yourself. And uh, But I had fun doing it. We had a great bunch of kids. You know, we did, we executed as well as any team I ever managed. We would bunt, we'd hit and run. I remember coaching third, the other dugout would be yelling, watch the hit and run, watch the delayed steal. 
but you, you guys executed perfectly. And, you know, we won the first half, second half and championship. And I guess they thought I was smart. So I was a manager year and two years in a row, 80 and 81, same thing, but we had good players and good kids. And that's why I was a smart manager, I guess. Yeah. You and, you know, Ken Berry helped you too. He was always fun. He, you and him had a, had a great, uh, uh, personalities there where one would play off the other. He was a little more dry. He was dry, but he had a sense of humor because he was a big leaguer. He knew he knows baseball, but you know that's that's the biggest thing is that uh, you know you have to you, you can't be so serious that you're going to beat yourself up mentally. It's already you know uh, competitors at that level already pretty hard on themselves, but but just the ability to laugh and your laughter, uh, you know. And we and since that one year shave, we we've, we've been friends for life, and that's that's what baseball does, and that's one of the greatest things about the game that I take away is the relationships, the friendships. And when you called me the other day, I didn't get back to you the first day, and I felt bad. I couldn't sleep. I went, oh, my gosh, Shave called me. I didn't even get back to him. So the next day, I'm, you know, I, I got a hold of you and just thrilled to be able to talk baseball with you, especially with others listening. You're right. The thing is, just the people you, you meet and, you know, get along with in the game, that's more than anything. You remember the people more, you remember all the games. I mean, I was fortunate won some championships in the minor leagues. You know, I got to the playoffs in the big leagues. But it's the people you're around and the people you coach and people you interact with that you always remember. And uh, I just remember, like, uh, that time, like, you, you got a bun. And another time, I remember when you were broadcasting, I'm listening to your broadcast, and you said, the ball off the fence and uh, outfield missed the cutoff man. The next day, I said, Hud, the cutoff man's in the infield. The relay man's in the outfield. You got to see Mr. Relay Man, not the cutoff man. Remember that? Because <laughs> you can't oh, see it. Yeah, about it. yeah so, so, like, I as a player, Shave, thank you. Oh man, I appreciate that, bud. That's enhancing my broadcast. I appreciate that those tips. But you know, I I can get a tip from anybody. And a lot of fans, you know, they 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 have an issue with my mouth. But but uh, Shave, I knew baseball stuff was when you were when you spoke. I listened, and I sure do appreciate that. Any any tips I can get to continue to help? But but now it's a whole different world now. Uh, explaining the game to people and teaching the moms and dads about baseball here in the Kansas City area and anybody who watches our feed uh, sure is fun uh, to use all the experiences I had. And, you know, of course, there's, I'm not an expert and I don't believe there is baseball experts. Uh, uh, although, Shafe, you could be as close as anybody I know. Uh, the baseball is such, an, uh, such a dynamic uh, sport and, and there's just so many intricate, intricate parts of it. And, and you know, Uh-oh. Does that mean we got to stop? No, it's a Call of Fame calling Bob, right? He, uh, <laughs> he gets, uh, Hall of Fame's yeah. calling Shave. Well, I better right. get off because that'll mess Shave up if, if you have Hall of Fame calling and I'm on. No, he's good. I got a question. I don't know, I don't know how to shut it off. <laughs> right. I got a but, question. Uh, here. Yeah. Uh, you talked, I, I love the talk you had about, you shared about your parents, especially your mom acting as agent and, and advisor and, and all that recruiting and signing. And then you, 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 you transitioned to your coaches, uh, high school coaches, and Dan Devine, and, and as you're talking about Shafe, Billy Martin. I talk to these kids all the time that are going through these processes, whether it's signing a collegiate scholarship or signing a pro contract. And the one common thread I spoke about, I want you to, I want you to expound on if you don't mind. When you're looking at a situation to go from teenager to collegiate, which is now considered professional or a pro, the most important thing is understanding how you were brought up and aligning yourself with somebody who has those similar values those shared values and creates a culture similar to what you grew up in as a, as a kid. And that helps you get your coach in your life for the next 40 years, as opposed to the next four. And in some cases, one with these kids transferring, but um, talk to the audience a little bit about that transition that you had and, and the commonalities you had between how you were brought up and these different relationships you had with managers over time, the similarities you had with those, the upbringing to culture. Yeah, you know, um, so when my my parents are from Texas, my mom um, was a disciplined person as a young young woman, good athlete, you know, and and so she just did what she typically would do whenever you have kids, you know. And she had three boys, and and she she knew we needed a lot of help, and um, you know, so she kind of helped mold all that. Uh, I think I think probably the mental toughness that I developed um, on the playground as a kid coming home from school. Um, fortunately, we didn't have games to come home and play on the computer. We didn't have cell phones or computers, so there was no distraction there. 
I got me a snack when I got done with school and I, and, and I went right to the playground and I got my, my lip busted. Uh, 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 you know, I never broke any bones or anything, but, but I, I learned toughness. I learned physical and mental toughness in soccer. Um, and probably the biggest thing that helped me during the 21 years was the, was the, the mental toughness. The being able to handle failure, being able to be told you're, you, you know, you're never going to make it or being being yelled at uh, by, by, by a, a coach. Um, I didn't I didn't wilt um, because I'd been yelled at as a kid. And, and my, my, my mom, you know, she she disciplined me and pro- properly. And that's a thing that's missing is discipline. You know, parents sometimes want to be the kid's best friend. Nuh-uh, that ain't working. You're not their friend. You're their mother. And they need you to be that. Uh, and your father to be that person to, that's going to tell you, no, you can't do that, or, or this is how you do it. And so she wasn't afraid to share those things with me. And I remember after six years in A-ball, you know, I was, I was a little frazzled. Now, Mr. Steinbrenner would buy his talent at the top level every year. And so um, it would log jam the system. No, no guys really could move up to the big leagues because he, he didn't believe in rookies. He wanted veteran players, established players. And so I remember my sixth year in A-ball In um, spring training, they put your name on a list whenever it's time to break camp. And, and if your name's on the list of the, where they put you on what team you're on. And I remember going up to that window and there's 500 guys in camp and minors. And I looked at that window at the double A team and my name wasn't on the double A team. And that's where I thought I would be moving to. And I went back to, to, my, to Fort Lauderdale where the team I've been with for, for the last five years. And I went, what? My name's on there again? This is bull, man. I'm not. Are you kidding? I went to my locker. Only time, only time I, I ever got close to quitting. And I took packed all my stuff and I went back to the hotel. And I sat at the hotel. I was so pissed. I was so angry. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? And then I started sitting there. I didn't sit there long. And I went, self, you're not a quitter. Your parents never raised you to quit. She, you, I, you were raised to finish what you started. And by golly, I'm going to go hit 400 this year. And they're going to, I'm going to make them move me up. So I brought myself back over and I went back in there and, and went to Fort Lauderdale in the first two months of the season. I'm hitting 300 and we're getting ready to go to the Bay Harbor Inn. That's where a, a hotel George Steinbrenner owned. And whenever we went there, uh, he'd let us save our meal money and we could eat on him. I mean, you know, just a, a classy owner, a very, very generous heart. And and so I, I wanted to write a letter to George Steinbrenner and ask him for a promotion. And so I remember going in there to ask, uh, uh, Stump Merrill was my manager. I go, Stumpy. What do you think about me writing a letter to George Steinbrenner? He goes, well, kid, what would you do that for? I said, I'm, I want a promotion. I'm, I'm due for a promotion in this organization, and, I'm, and I got the balls to do it. And, I, and he'd look, he reached under the table with his head, and he looked underneath there as, as he was looking at my package. And I, and I go, no, no, yeah. Hey, what do you suggest? He goes, Hud, he don't like long letters. Make it a short letter. And I said, okay, thank you. I went home to my to my roommate. Uh, I have roommates uh, Brian Butterfield, Jack's son, and Dickie Scott was my roommate, a guy named Pete Delana. And I said, and Dickie Scott, you know, University of Maine. Um, hey, Dickie, will you help me compose this letter? Yeah, here it was, dear Mister Steinbrenner. Uh, uh, thank you for for giving me opportunities uh, to to play on in your organization. However. I would have already graduated from Notre Dame and had been a professional football player by now. And I'm my, my sixth year in a ball. I'm hitting 300 plus presently. Would you please consider a promotion? Thank you. All my best Rex Hudler. So I, I take it to the, to the lady at the desk at the Bay Harbor. And I go, ma'am, when Mr. Steinbrenner comes here this summer, could you please give him this letter? So, and she goes, Oh, sure. I'll take it up to him. He's here. And I went, Oh man, my booty got tight, man. I Everything tightened up, and I'm going, oh, man, I wasn't expecting him to be there. Sure enough, St. Petersburg, Al Lang Stadium. We, we get there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. And in the stands, there's Stump Merrill and and, and uh, George Steinbrenner. So I'm all worked up, man. My stomach, I'm playing catch. We're loosening up. And, you know, nobody's in the stands at 4 o'clock in an A-ball game. And and so he comes, Stump comes out of the stands, and I, and I went over to Stumpy, and I went, Stumpy, did did, did George mentioned the letter uh, that I, I gave him by chance. Stump chewed tobacco, and he had a big wad of tobacco in his mouth. And he's chewing, and he's looking at me, and just chewing, didn't say a word. And then he spit. He went, he spit, and he goes, kid, he loved it. And I went, oh, man, thank you. So I was so relieved. And I went in, and I blew the commode up because I was so worked up. My stomach was all worked up. And so sure enough, got a couple of hits for him. 
uh, like I, I typically would do. And he watched the game that night. We bust back to Fort Lauderdale, six o'clock in the morning. The phone rang and said, Hud, you're going to AAA. So I went, uh, skipped AA, went right to AAA. And I'm on that airplane and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, Hud, you pop off to a guy like that and you lay an egg when you get there, you're in trouble. You better go up there and kick some butt and, and he's giving you another shot. Let's go. So that's what I did. I, I made the best of it. I was tough <clears throat> mentally. I was, I was, I was con- convinced that what I was doing was the right thing. But the biggest problem, one of the biggest things my parents taught me was respect. Respect your elders. Respect people. Respect people who are in a higher position than you. Don't ever think you're better than anybody else. You respect. So I did that. I wrote the letter out of respect. I did all that stuff that she she taught me. But that's what's missing in today's game. Mental toughness. Guys can't get you. The, you know, if, if a coach yells at them, oh, they wilt. They're done for a week or a month. You know, you got to be able to let that ride and, and and be able to handle and hold your head up. And I remember sitting in that dugout when Earl Weaver was yelling at me after I, I lost a game for him in spring training. And he's yelling at me in front of every one of my teammates. And I remember sitting there with great posture, my shoulders back, my head up. And I'm looking at him out of, with respect. And I'm telling myself, he knows your name. Oh my gosh, Hud, this guy's yelling at you, but he knows who you are. He's a Hall of Fame manager. So that alone brought a smile to my face. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And went out and never made the mistake again. But that's how you carry yourself. Always carry yourself confidently because body language, Shafe, you know this, body language is the premium language spoken in the game of baseball. It's body language. Okay, you carry yourself. I I measured up my opponents by how they walked, how they ran, what they looked like. And I didn't know these guys. That's how I learned about that. So, look, those are things that are that are brought down from mom and dad. But young people need to need to be respectful. Don't think you're the guy because you're not. Someone's always better than you. You need to be humble. You need to be to be thankful and have a great heart. And if your heart's right and you have the, the right ability you you will get there in, in in God's time, not yours. I thought I'd be a big leaguer, Shafe, in a, in a year or so, two years. Was- well, you said the two biggest things: discipline and respect, and that's what's lacking in game today. Not many people will discipline their players. They're afraid to, you know, they want to be their buddy instead of you know their friend. There's difference between a buddy and a friend, but the friend will tell the guy the truth. And when you do something wrong, very few coaches and our managers will discipline someone because they're afraid of their job, and that's how it is. It's too bad. And respect. You know, you got to respect the uniform, respect the game and everything else. Some of these guys, the way they play the game, they don't respect the game. They don't respect the uniform. You, you probably see that firsthand, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. We see a lot of that. But you know what? It's, it's just you, you can only control what you can control. And so I try to control my mouth. I can try to control what I tell others. And especially in this position now, Shafe, I love encouraging. Encouraging is the best thing. You know, that's what I love doing because I know how hard it was. I remember the grind. I remember. And so when I see a player, I'll introduce myself to him and say, hey, kid, you know, I, I saw where you've done six years in the minors. And nowadays, that's a long time. If you do five years of the minors, man, that's a marathon. And I say, I heard, I heard, I heard that you, you've done that time. And gosh, I just wanted to let you know that that uh, I, I, I had to play 10 years in the minors. And then God bless me with 10 years in the majors. So you, I just want to encourage you. You can do it. You can do it. And he, you know, that player look at me, double, double take and look at me and go, wow, really? You're a, you're a 10 year minor, a 10 year big leaguer. So that's something that I'm very proud of, of uh, the perseverance, but, but not something I'm going to brag on and say, wow, look what I did. Um, but, but it's as encouragement. We want to love you're, all these young players. You're a great inspiration to a lot of players that, you know, struggle in the minor leagues. But, you know, if you believe in yourself and you make yourself better every day and, like I said, a coach can help you become you better or make you better, but he can't make you better. It's up to you to make yourself better with the guidance of a coach. Right. But the inspiration that you've given a lot of players not to give up, you know, have, a, you know, have like confidence in your ability, eventually get there. And the fact you wrote that letter to Steinbrenner, he respected hell of it because that's the kind of guy he is. He respected the fact that he, you thought you should be better. And he probably looked back and said, you know what, let's get this kid a chance. And you took advantage of it and you ran with it. Yeah. And, you know, you had to have the courage to do that. And, and and that was just from my heart. And, you know, I told you, you can only control what you can control. And that's not very many things. So for me in baseball, there were two things I could control. My attitude, number one, and my output, my hustle. 
That's it. What am I going to give that day? Well, Dave, Dave is a good coach. He has two young kids, two sons that are very good players, and his daughter's good, real good athlete in every sport, right, Dave? They, uh, yeah, we try to. My wife and I are both former college and professional athletes, but we try. We're, we were multi-sports, like like you, Rex. Where we, uh, I was a two-sport college athlete. Um, got to that point where you have to choose one. I was fortunate enough to to have coaches to cultivate that through four years of college to to give me an opportunity to play professionally. But with our kids, we do the same thing. We try to, uh, you know, what do you enjoy mm-hmm. if you if you're going to enjoy it? But so, somehow nowadays, working hard and having fun. Um, have been portrayed by people as not, uh, they're, they're mutually exclusive. They can't happen at the same time. Um, but we, yeah, we employ all the sports for the kids. We think it's important for them to get out. But as I tell them, if you're going to go out, be good, work hard. Um, uh, you don't have to be the best at it when you start. I think that's important. But same, same principles that we're hearing from you today, Rex, which I appreciate. It's uh, the eye contact, the handshakes, the please and thank yous, the respect. Those are all huge words in our life and certainly for our audience here. Um, I got I got a broadcast question for you, if you don't mind. Um, okay. You won, you won an award. Now, you, you, you're very humble, and I love that. That's, that's, that's appealing. Um, but you were an All-American football player, drafted by the Yankees. I mean, that's like a story. That's storybook in the 70s, the late 70s. I mean, that, that, was, that was it. Persevered, where most kids nowadays, they were, you know, if, if somebody had one of those, they wouldn't have had the humility, the perseverance, the stick to itness that you had to spend 10 years grinding through the minors and get to the big, spending another 10 years. Not too many people get to do that, either one of those things. Um, and now you're, you're very successful as a broadcaster. Um, Two-part two question. One, um, what lessons did you take as a ball player to, to make yourself successful as, a, as a, an announcer, a, a play-by-play color man? And second, talk to our audience about what Angels in the infield is, because I know you, you won an award for that. I want I want them to hear about that. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, it's great it's to hear a little bit of your story. Yeah, but, you know, it's about work. It's about effort, just what I said. The two things you can control are your attitude and your output. So I can control what I'm going to do when I hit a one hopper back to the pitcher. Okay, what up? I can make up my mind before I even leave the batter's box. What are you going to show the paying customer? Okay, you're going to be out, but are you going to jog down the line? And that's really giving up, is what that is. That's quitting. No quit. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm going to go through that base for that guy who paid his hard, his hard earned money. I'm going to run through the bag, man. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to play hard. That's what you program into yourself. So once you change careers, no wonder recruiters come after athletes because they know that they're driven. Athletes are, 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 are people who, who you know, drive themselves and have the push, and they make good employees after that. Well, I had no idea God was going to open up a door for me in the broadcast booth that went from, from the field in 98 to the broadcast booth with the Angels in 99. And, and I went right there, and, of course, once again, God paired me with a wonderful partner in Steve Fiziak, a real pro, a real man's man, a pro, a guy who understood the business. Fiz did football, baseball. He did all kinds of sports out there in California. He was a Pac-10 announcer for college. He did all kinds of stuff. Biggest thing he told me was, Hud, be yourself. You got to be yourself. And I go, really? That's going to be hard for a lot of people to swallow because I'm a little bit out there. I have a, I have a lot of energy. He goes, Hud, we're not going to have a good team this year. We're expected to lose close to 100 games. Look, this is your time to shine. And I said, wow, really? Okay. So I, I learned. I learned from what I had took from baseball was I knew I had to be on time. On time is the most important thing, and that goes back along under the line of, diction, uh, of, of, of uh, discipline. You have to be on time. You be early. Okay? You learn that as a baseball player. And so I learned that and I learned, okay, what do I need to do? Well, HUD, get you a book out because, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're mine. You're not going to be remember, remember talking to a guy at four o'clock in the afternoon and then do the game at seven and remember that. So I took a book. Whenever I, uh, I talked to somebody, I would write down what I did. So I was prepared. I did my things. Now, I never kept score in my life. Shafe, when was the first year you ever kept scored on a card? Because, you know, you're an infielder like me. Pitchers kept, kept the charts in the dugouts. I never knew how to keep score, did you? 
Well, when I was a kid, I did it, you know, but I had my own theory or my own uh, way of doing it. But even when I was managing the minor leagues, I had a little three by five cards and I used to write down where guys hit the ball. Yeah. And uh, that's before all this computerized stuff happened. But I used to have, especially in double A and triple A, you know, when you see the guy more than once, I might see him again next year. But I also had like a chart where the guy hit the ball and maybe little notes about his swing and, you know, with some of his weaknesses. But that was like just after the game, I write it down, going through the scorecard or sco- uh, scoreboard and just uh, the scorebook and just write it down and make little notes. And next time you play the team, you review the notes and uh, you live one step ahead. Yeah. And that's, so that's what I'm talking about. Pre- being prepared, be having some passion about your job and your game and learning how to, how to do it. But so if a week goes by and my first week of broadcasting and one of my heroes, all time heroes is a player and my mentor is a broadcaster, Ken Singleton. He, he was with the Yankees broadcasting their games. And and he there was there was a plexiglass in between our booth. And, and and so he could look at me in between innings. So he he stuck his head over and he goes, Hey Hunt, I noticed the last couple of games you're not keeping score. You need to keep score. I said, How do you? I don't know how to keep score. I never kept score in my life. He goes, It's done different ways. Everybody has their own way. Every every ballpark has a generic lineup sheet. Get that generic lineup sheet. And hold it in front of you and just mark down one B. That means a base hit to the left field, seven. Okay, all the positions are numbered in baseball. So it's easy to do it yourself. A K, strikeout, straight K, you know, called looking backward K, little basic stuff like that. He goes, because you got to know uh, what the hitter did earlier in the game. He's now late in the game, he's his fourth, fifth at bat. Okay, you got to know all that stuff. So look, you don't have to know the other stuff. Let, let the professional play by play guy do that. So, Sinky. Thank you. I love you, Singy. Thank you. So so along the way, having the attitude. Okay, I talked about attitude and hustle. The only two things you can control. So the attitude was coachable, was teachable. I'm ready to absorb. I'm not an ego guy going, oh, I already know that. Um, no, I'm, no, no, no. Attitude is the most important thing outside of hustle. But man, I'll tell you what. You rec- People and scouts recognize hustle when they see it. And, you know, if you're walking, if you're a walker that just walks to the to, to the next place, nobody even notices that. So I got recognized because I hustled. And I could run. That helped. I could run. And I was blessed with speed. But, man, those two things, attitude and hustle shape, are going to help you. And then, then broadcasting just kind of got I, – I, I got a little bit better and a little bit better. And as far as angels in the infield, I don't – that was a movie. And I don't know what that award was for, but but I could just tell you – that when you when you're able to be yourself and you're able to have passion about what you do, it comes across, and that's probably what what did it. But being <clears throat> having being uh, a color commentator award winner in, in Southern California, where they have all them broadcasters in all those sports, that made me feel so special. Especially me and Physioc broadcasting the same airtime as the greatest announcer ever in Vin Scully. That was intimidating, but Fizz goes, Hud, it's no big deal. He's Vin Scully. We're just the second team in the league. I mean, in the city. Don't worry about it, Hud. We're, we're, not, we're not even in his league. So let's just go out and have fun and be ourselves. There again, a mentor, your partner, somebody encouraging, somebody lightening you up. You do it together. You don't do it by yourself. So if there was any guys out there thinking, me, me, I, I, guess what? You'll, you'll finish last. Well, it's a teamwork. Like, no matter what it is, a teamwork. Baseball is a team game. Just like I talked to you about getting a guy from second or third. You get him to second or third, the next guy drives him in. And that's what the game's all about. But unfortunately, the game has gone to more statistical orientated. And therefore, guys want to drive him in from second rather than move him over and let the next guy drive him in. And, you know, we all said the baseball guys will take care of you. A lot of times you trade the ball to the right side, you end up with a base hit, you do end up with an RBI besides. But the game has changed a lot. I'm sure to you, you know, Pretty good for some some places or some reasons, but not pretty good some other reasons. But uh, it's still a great game, as we all know. But sometimes technology gets involved, and that's going to be tough for you as an old-time baseball guy to say spin rates and uh, exit velocity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, Shafe, but, you know, I found out, too, um, I don't spend time in the booth going, well, back in our day, we could take out the second baseman. Uh, we could knock catchers into the first row. I mean, I don't spend time doing that. I am going to evolve with the game. If I want to continue my position in baseball, which is a lot of fun, I'm going to learn. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to talk about the modern day player. I'm going to talk about the modern game today. 
and and, and that way people understand who I'm talking about and, and and realize that I'm a player from the past. And you know, things change in life. That's the one thing we're guaranteed is change, and it happens in our game. And some of them, most of the moves and changes that have been made have been for the better. And so I'm glad that they got away from the from the shifting. You know, um, I, I still a little bit disappointed about uh, Joe, Mr. Torrey, my former manager. Uh, changing the, the the contact play at second base there because that's a strategy part of the game that I miss. You know, you're not trying to hurt a guy. Now, some guys you're going to get hurt like any other sport. You're going to get hurt sometimes. That's just the the, the 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 consequences of the sport in the game. But but you can you got a guy on second base and and first base and they and they go for a double play and the, the runner at first base he can knock the guy down and then that runner from second can score. That's a strategy in baseball. So there are there are some things that that don't fit well with me, but who am I? Who am I? Uh, I'm taking some of the skill. It's taking some of the skill out of the game. That's what bothers me. I mean, you had to have you got to be skillful to play second, as you know, to turn a double play, get up in the air. You're going to get hit, but you won't get hurt. Now anybody can play second because you just pivot on your foot and throw and you flat footed and throw the ball at first. So it's taking the skill to turn a double play away. I think. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's no doubt about that, Chafe. Uh, but but you know. Um, that was so much fun. I loved it when it, when when I knew that uh, uh, Paul O'Neill, I knew that someone that, that Albert Bell, they're at first base and I'm playing second base. And I would always look at my third baseman or shortstop and say, "Hey, man, you better get me that ball, man. Get it to me quick because <laughs> this guy he wants, to, he wants to break my leg." So there, there brought a, it brought an awareness, uh, an excitement about turning two. And then you know, uh, Shafe, after playing so long, and I went to I got to go to Japan and play a year. Uh, that was a huge summer for me, a great blessing to learn how to play under control because I was an intense player, very intense. I was radical. Uh, I played hard. I hurt some people. I hurt myself. I was a little bit out of control, but I'd learned self-control in Japan. And so when I came back to the big leagues and got five more years into the majors after that that season in Japan for the Swallows, um, I, I – I, I, I smelled the roses. I still played hard. I still played with intensity, but but I didn't play with the intent to hurt my opponent. Uh, after after ten years in the minors, I had a chip on my shoulder, and being a football player with that mentality made me dangerous. I was dangerous. I was had speed. I could hit. I could I could make contact. I knew how to flip guys in second. I knew how to tea kettle catchers. I knew how to bumper up. I was a dangerous player. But when I came back then, after that, I really had fun. I started enjoying myself and smelling the roses, knowing it wasn't going to last forever. And I'd see Paul O'Neill at first base, and J.T. Snow was my was my uh, teammate playing first. And I'd say, hey, Jack. I'd yell over there and go, Jack. And I'd say, get him. So he would bump Paul O'Neill. O'Neill would look at me. And I, made a, I, made a, uh, I put my fists together, and I broke him like, are you, you going you gonna to come in here? You going to break it up? You going to give me some, some action over here? And O'Neill would just look at me and shake his head going, this guy, he's weird. This guy, he's sick. What's he doing? He's calling me out. So, Shafe, I really loved challenging guys and saying, hey, come and get me. And, 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 and dropping the gate on base stealers, guys that would go in head first, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. Once the ball was in the air from the catcher, you could you could put your knee down and they could never get there and slap it. And there were some of my friends I did that on, and, and they'd go, they took it personal going, hey, what are you doing, huh? And I go, don't take it personal. But just have a nice, have a nice day. Come back and get me if you want. You know, yeah, learn how to learn how to slide. Yeah, I miss I miss that part of the game. Yeah. Well, another thing is that you know I was rewarded a guy like you talk about good things you did to help a team win, and sometimes breaking up that double play helped the team win because extended the inning. The next guy drove the guy in from third or wherever. But now it just takes, like I said, one more skill out of the game as a base runner and also as a, a second baseman. But I know they're all worried about injuries, and you know, guy broke his leg because he tried to turn two when he had no chance to turn it two, and all of a sudden it changed the rule, decided to play at home play. But those are two things I think that they overreacted, and it's still not baseball. There's some injuries going to happen, but if you know how to defend yourself, you're not going to get hurt that often. That's right, Shave. But but you know, here's the deal. Now, you don't you don't uh, if a guy moves a runner, all as a broadcaster can enhance the game by 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 getting the camera. To tell to, to show that guy who just moved the runner, watch this. He's going to go back in the dugout, and he made it out. But look at the love he's getting in there from his teammates. Right. Look at productive that. outs. Yeah, productive he, out. He made a productive out. That's yeah. important. That's so. That's just as important as getting the game winning hit. So when you continue to instill that, and if you're a manager, 
I don't know. It, I'd have a hard time managing a modern day player. I think Shafe because I'm a little bit hard, a little bit rough, a little intense maybe to, to, for them. But but that's such a big part of the game, and and it's so fun to share the little things with the audience, and 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 that's the the joy of broadcasting and showing up every day. I feel like I'm a player because I, I get to come to the game, and and I got my scouting report on this pitcher based on what I would do off of him. So this is what I'm sharing with the audience, and and to be able to go to the other side uh, with my my past that lets me in, and to meet Aaron Judge, to meet these great players, Adrian uh, uh, Beltre and 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 Miguel Cabrera, and you know Bobby Witt Jr. To be able to go in there and have conversations with these guys, I can bring on the broadcast. It it th- it's thrilling for me. It's it's it, it, it makes my day. It pumps me up to be able to have that opportunity to go in there and share with these big stars and let them share their thoughts with me so I can bring them on the air to the people. Right. Well, one thing you're good at, Rex, you're you're an educator. You know, people watch a game. They, a lot of them don't know anything about the game, but you can educate them, you know, what you're trying to do here. And like I said, productive out. The guy advancing made an out, but he advanced the runner. Next guy drove him in. So being an educator, I mean, to me, the biggest thing a broadcaster should do is educate the fans about the game itself. And I think you do a great job doing that. Oh, Shafe, you know, hey, look, my, my, you guys are going to have my one of my uh, heroes on. That's that's Jim Cott coming up a little bit later. Uh, he and Singleton, whenever they did the broadcast in New York, uh, a, a big league pitcher and a big league hitter, to me, I, we would be in New York as a uh, with a team, but we had an off day and, and they took the game. And so I would go to a bar or wherever I could go to watch the game and I would listen to those two guys. And to me, it was the most beautiful baseball game ever. Those guys, they had experience from pitching. They had experience from hitting. They they conversed back and forth. I mean, it was a beautiful game to hear those two guys on. And and, and that's the importance of broadcasting. Good broadcasting will draw you to it, and, and, and that's the whole bottom line. All right. Well, I remember you were looking for a job that one year, and I recommended it to Washington Nationals. They picked someone else, and I said, you're making a big mistake. And I still say that to this day, not because you're my friend or you played for me, but to me, you're one of the top broadcasters and educators in the game. And I appreciate oh, that. Shave. No, thank you, bud. But you know what? Hey, look, there's a time. Let me share this with you real quickly. There's a time whenever a team gets, gets, gets tired of you, when you, when they move you on, when you get fired, when you get, you know, they have DFA, there's all kinds of pretty words for getting fired. And so whenever I always took the high road, I remember being with the giants. When I came back from Japan, I just Dusty Baker hired me. I loved him. I love Dusty Baker. I grew up in Fresno, California, uh, three hours from San Francisco. And, and so, uh, um, he calls me in with a week to go in spring training. I'm a veteran guy. You know, I, lots of times when a manager has a veteran, he can rely on that guy. Well, I had, I had an injury of that plantar fasciitis. I couldn't get through. So we call the tap on the shoulder in the locker room. You know, whenever you get that tap on the shoulder, that time of year, you're like, you're sensitive. You're like, oh, okay. Hey, manager wants to see you. Okay. I go in there and I'm expecting that he's going to say, Hey, HUD, you know, you're going to make my team and all that. But I could tell. I learned how to read body language as I got into his office and he's standing up and, and, and Bob Quinn is the general manager sitting down and, and, and it didn't look too good. So I sit down and Bake goes, Hud, we're going to go with a younger player, man. We're sorry. I know you and your wife are expecting a baby, your first baby any, any time now. So this is probably not a good time for you. And, and I remember hearing that and I went, Bake, gosh, are you kidding? Thanks for having me. I got to meet Willie Mays. I got to meet Orlando Cepeda, Vita Blue, all those players I followed as a kid. And I got to play for you for spring training, Bake. Thanks for having me, man. And so he looked at me and he dropped his head. And the, the, the general manager looks at me and goes, hey, hey, kid, you know, when you're done playing, I want you to come work for me. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this a fire and hire meeting? What, what's <laughs> going on here? So what I'm saying is, Always be thankful. And when I got moved on by other teams, be thankful for that opportunity that they gave you. It didn't work out. That's a business decision. Hey, sir, thank you. Instead of airing the fact that you didn't get the chance to play or whatever these negative things are in your heart, you don't let those out in an exit meeting. Okay? You take the high road. You thank them. You thank them. That's going to go well with you as you move on to the next team. Lots of times that team that you're moving to, they're going to call Dusty Baker and they're going to say, hey, what was this guy like when you fired him? But how did he handle that? How was his attitude? And, you know, that's going to – and Baker goes, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, he made me feel bad for firing him. I love this guy. I should have never let him go. Yeah, sure that's enough. good. But, you know, whether you're a player, a coach, scout, manager, or broadcaster, your talent is your security. 
and you certainly have a lot of talent and and you took advantage of it. And, uh, but you, you, you know, gave some really good messages today and I appreciate your time. And it's been outstanding. It went by quick. I can't believe it's like almost an hour right now. (laughs) Shape, I knew, I think I warned you I'm a little long winded, but look, I can't help it. So when it comes to the grand game and sharing people with with people that you love that, that made a difference in your life, like you in the grand game, I can't help it, but be excited. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next hour, but man, I'm going to have to circle the house and get outside and and, and, and blow some leaves or something because I'm all worked up. Yeah, well, you, you uh, get some good messages to our, our, our listeners and stuff, and you're know, very entertaining, but the very good messages, like I said. Shave, thanks, man. What an, an opportunity. Love it. Hey, tune it. Go Royals. You see what we're doing this offseason, Shave? Yeah. You know, I'm still a Royals fan. I had eight great years in Kansas City, and uh, some teams better than others, but uh, the people there are great. You know, the ballpark was great. I hope I don't move it, but they're talking about it, which I don't understand that. But, you know, I hope they – I love that ballpark. I love doing – they had AstroTurf. I loved it more when they had the grass, and I was there both times. But uh, <laughs> Tennessee is fun in our memories. Yeah, the K's beautiful, but, you know, we got to have that revenue shape. We've got to be able to compete with these other big market teams. Yeah, no, that's a big thing, yeah. Yeah, so look, but you know what, though? Things are going good. we got a kid, Bobby Witt Jr., who's a, who's a dynamic player. Oh, my gosh, I wish I had half his talent. You know, just fun to watch, speed, all that stuff. You know, we got some good pitching. And, you know, and being here in 14 and 15 when we went back-to-back World Series is, is, is unheard of for a small market team. That was a, 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 a legendary time to be here and to be their broadcaster was so much fun, Shape. And, and losing, actually winning cures all. That's how they cured me from these fans not hating on me. They won. <laughs> They won, so shape they had to accept me. So it's been a huge blessing yeah. to live here in Kansas City. We love on the people and uh, love on people like you. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for your time. Hey, Rex, share with our audience, too, because I, I agree with you. I think Kansas City has had one of the best off-seasons, and they're, they're not talking about them as much as a shoe. Share a little bit about what they've done this off-season, if you don't mind. Hey, look, you know what? We'll sneak up on people. They don't have to talk about us now. It don't matter. Baseball, we'll go out and execute, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a series at a time. That's all you do. But, you know – Pitching, we were last in a lot of categories in pitching the last few years, you know, ever since we won in 15, you know, you you can't afford all those players to keep them. So, you know, we've had to deploy, uh, hang hang in there, and and we hope that the minor league system would come through and pick us up. But, you know, you can't win with young players. It's really difficult because baseball is such an intricate experience game. Um, But now, so J.J. Piccolo, Dayton Moore, they let him go. J.J. Piccolo comes on. And he has the blueprint from Dayton Moore, following Dayton Moore. He understands is we're going to need some minor leaguers and we're going to need some blue blue chip prospects like Bobby Wood Jr. and Massey and Pasquantino and, and Salvi's already a, a, a world champion. Um, but we need pitching. Pitching wins and pitching gets you in postseason. So he knew that. So he goes out and he gets Lugo, a, 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 an accomplished starter from the Padres. Michael Walker, they just signed, so we got two. You know, we've got a kid that we got in a trade last year, Cole Reagans. This kid was a left-hander that Dayton Moore gave up for Chapman and early in the year. So there's three guys there. They've got a kid, Daniel Lynch. You know, they've, they've added three or four more arms in the bullpen because you need established arms. We've got a closer in Smith. Uh, they got a utility player in Hans and Hampson who can play center and shortstop, a rare combination that you got a guy that can do that. So they've got some action to go along with Michael Garcia, Junior Isbell in centers a gold glover. Massey had won a golden in the minors, and then you got Prado and you know, the Salvi. In order to keep him fresh, he 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 started playing some first base last year and looked really good over there. He's a really good athlete. Reminds me of Andres Galarraga, uh, the big the big cat. Uh, he can he can he can play over there. But also you got Freddie Fermin, who's a young kit catcher who's coming on and, and coming into his own. He's got potential gold. So when you add pitching. And you already have a good solid defense, you win. And they can run. They have speed, first to third. Believe me, in this division, and I've seen it over the last uh, uh, decade or so, you can go worst to first, especially in the Central. That's what fans can expect from Kansas City this year. I love it. We saw Texas and Arizona both go from 100 losses to the World Series. So that's right. It's, it's doable. Um, Shafe, great interview today. Rex, thanks so much for your time. Your enthusiasm is infectious. Um, I wrote down a couple phrases you said. And I'm, I'm going to push that out to our audience as we enter the Christmas time here. Well, let but, me give you one more real quick while yeah. it's on top of my, my small brain. You're either a, there's two kind of people in life. You're either a fountain, you got life coming out for somebody else, or you're a drain. You're going to suck people down. <laughs> okay. 
So you're two kind of people. But you, if you're a human being and you're a fountain, there are times when you're going to get sucked down the drain. The key is don't don't spend time down there in the muck and all the slime that's down there. A lot of people get slimy and they never come out. You got to resurface. Find your way to resurface and be a fountain of life for others. Be a giver, not a taker. I love that. It's a great message to, to end on. And Shape, again, great, great interview. And Rex, we're so fortunate to have you and share your messages here. We'd love to have you come back anytime. Um, Certainly during this off season, if, if we can get you back, we'd, we'd love to have you. And then, Shafe, I, I learned something from you, minimum of one thing every episode. Now I have to go back to my manuals and make sure I did not define relay as cutoff or cut up as relay. So, uh, Rex, <laughs> I felt through the same thing. So, um, Shafe, thank you for, for your support with, with my continued growth as a, as a coach, too. So, But to our audience, uh, closing in on 62,000, you guys know what to do. Five stars, write some great comments. Blackout Coffee, we got Bob S20, Coffee's Unshaved through Christmas and all of 2024. Um, I've got his credit card, so 20% off at checkout. And then uh, Ted Kubiak's book, Don't Miss It, Old School, and uh, How to Field a Ground Ball. And we will be putting together Shafe's manual for the new year. So that's our our off-time project here. Right, Shafe? We're going to get that going for January. Put it out there to the audience. So, Rex, thanks again. And to our audience, uh, following this show, we've got the Hall of Famer, Jim Cott. Hope to tune in. These gifts we bring back up the To lay before the king So